we finish up Ephesians tonight, be in verses 18 through 24 of chapter 6. Last week we finished taking a look at Paul, armor of God. We saw that we can imagine what would happen if Paul doesn't take up the whole armor of God. And we also ought to be thinking about what happens if we don't. So when we go into battle, it seems the battle is against us attacking what the armor represents. Whatever the armor piece represents, that seems to be what it is that the attack is against. If it's a shield of faith, it's attacking your faith. We went over things along that line. It involves, as we've seen, one or two pieces at a time by people who are who are or work on becoming close to us. Not always by people that are distant, but by people who work or become close to us or by those who present as being on our team. And lastly, by those who directly oppose us. We saw all these things go on in the life of Paul, even in the life of Joshua when we looked at him the week before. Let's go over here to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, maintaining a constant alertness. No, I'm sorry. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, we've been over this verse a few times. We're just going to look at it all in the section there because it does all flow together. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. We uh, translate it this way, maintaining a constant alertness in the same. Maintaining a constant alertness in the same. You'll find quite a few different translations have uh, various things on this. I think the worst that I saw was in the message translation. I'm not going to read that for you, but if you want to look that up, they did a, a pretty terrible job on that one. Sometimes they hit a a real nice one, but not on that. But praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So he's encouraging us to be praying that part of our spiritual warfare is to be praying for other saints because we're not in this battle alone. Other people are in the battle with us. As they do good, we do good because the the army is is stronger. It's the same way that if you were in a natural battle, the people that are out there on the battlefield, if they're having success, then overall you would have success. There's less that would fall on you as an individual as long as the rest of the uh, army is, is doing well. The rest of the people out there on the battlefield. So be praying for them, he's saying. With all perseverance, there needs to be some endurance. Sometimes we get a little frustrated with other people, but we have a lot more patience with ourselves. We've talked about that sometimes before. It's a lot easier for me to be patient with me because I know the hindrances that I've been up against and what keeps me from doing what I know to do. But when I look at other people, I don't know the hindrances that are there. I just see them not doing what they're supposed to do and I come to judgments on that. But we've got to have perseverance on, on these things. So as we're praying for other saints, as we're making supplications for other saints, have that pers- perseverance. In chapters 1 and chapter 3, he actually lists some of the prayers that he was praying for other people. This was, were prayers that were geared towards 
making them a stronger soldier, making them a stronger asset in the army, in the army of God. And so this is how we ought to be praying. So don't just pray for yourself, but be praying for the people that are around you. Even though some of them may frustrate you, don't give up because they frustrate you. Keep on going. Keep on praying for them. We need to persevere. Look at how much perseverance Jesus had for the disciples as he continued to pray for them. Look at how much Jesus has in perseverance as he continues to pray for us. And we saw this even with other people in the Bible. But with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, verse 19, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, oh, I wanted to give you some things on this word watchful. This word watchful actually comes from, the, the Greek word this comes from, our group neo, it means to be sleepless. It's actually a compound word. The first part means to chase and the other part means sleep. And used here in a figurative way, it means to keep awake or to uh, to be a, be on watch. So here's most of the time you see this in the Bible. It's used metaphorically. We we'll see this in Mark thirteen thirty three, <clears throat> excuse me, Luke twenty one thirty six, here in Ephesians and Hebrews thirteen seventeen talks about being watchful. So it's it's talking more than just being wakeful, but a watchful a a, a an intent purpose to look out for particular things. So be watchful. Don't be distracted by the things that other people do in the body of Christ that are not quite up to par. Don't let that distract you. Stay watchful for them. The more mature that we are as Christians, the more we should be able to be watchful for for other people. Just like a watchman on the on the wall of the city, we are a watchman in the body of Christ. We need to be be helpful in that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and kind of knock on your door, wake you up at nighttime get you to pray for something that you may not even know or a situation that he may quicken you to. But do that. And he says here in verse 19, and for me, pray for me, that utterance may be given to me. He is praying for for utterance to be given to him. That we need to pray this way. So there's some things that he wants to pray for. And he says, Pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, here's somebody that they all love. Paul is someone that they all love to have a great affection for. He has been imprisoned because of preaching the gospel. And they're probably people of great concern for that. And he says, pray for me that I might become bolder. Now, if you've got somebody that you're a little um, concerned about the number of times he's been beaten, the number of times he's been attacked, the number of times that murderous attempts have been made on his life. And he's very, very bold. And it's because of this boldness that this happens. And he says, pray for me that I may be bolder. You can see that you might be conflicted as a, as a supporter for Paul. Well, I don't know if we want any more boldness than what he has right now. Because look at how much trouble he gets in. And if he gets any bolder, people are just going to come along and take him out. And we really want him to be around. We don't want him to go anywhere. We want him to, to stay here. Even though he's in prison, at least he's here. We don't want that to, to be going on. And so it can actually cause somebody to not be as diligent in prayer for him. Well, I don't want that to happen. But he's telling them, this is, this is, uh, this is my will. This is my desire. Pray for me in this way. And so their watchfulness 
in this area of prayer might wane. Now, I gave you a couple of things here in the area of watchfulness, things that would keep us from being watchful. Certainly, that could be one of them, that I don't necessarily want that thing to happen for Paul. I don't want him to become more bold. He's bold enough. But I wrote down some things. There's no blanks for you to fill in. But just some, I just wrote down five things. You can certainly add to this. You may come up with some other that you can think of. I just wrote down here five for you just to get you thinking along these lines. But one is complacency. We may be thinking, well, somebody else surely will be praying for this. I, I don't necessarily need to. Or they might think, you know, whatever God wants to have happen, that'll happen. If God wants Paul delivered, Paul will be delivered. If God wants Paul bolder, Paul will be bolder. Um, and we can get kind of complacent in this. Well, there's no real need for me to do this. I'm sure someone else, they'll take up the watch. I'm sure someone else will step in here. Another one is unnecessary. Well, there's no real need to do, need to do that, except that Paul said so. Paul's exhorting you to do so. He's telling you to be watchful. He's telling you to be vigilant. He's telling you to be perseverant with the people that are around you, not to uh, fold up because they have some, some weaknesses in them. They're not quite doing some of the things that you think they'll do. But I could just think that, well, it's, ne- it's just not necessary. There's no need for me to do this. And no urgency. And so we may just kind of put it aside for that. Uh, we may just refuse. I'm just not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to take the time to do it. There's other things that I want to pray for. Being watchful over other people. Persevering with the things that they have. I don't want to do that. So we may just outright refuse. I'm not going to do it. Then there's also rebellion. Not only am I not going to do it, I don't want to do it. and You can't make me do it. Sometimes there's some things that uh, I may refuse to do. And just, I, that's just, that's not in me. Sometimes we come up with spiritual excuses, you know. Well, I'm not really a prayer. Well, I'm not really uh, a person in that. Uh, there's other people around that would do that. But we need to all become prayers. This is something that we're all supposed to be doing and stepping into. And there can be some rebellion in me. I don't want to do it. I don't care if God says to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to pray for these people. I don't want to persevere for these people. I don't want to. And here's the fifth one, inadequacy. I can't do it. Sometimes the reason we don't is because we have given into a lie that I cannot do this. I can't be watchful. I can't be prayerful. I don't know enough. I'm not able to do enough. Whatever it might be. But these are just five areas here. Complacency, unnecessary, refusal, rebellion, and inadequacy. You can probably add some others to it as well. But whatever the reason, we got to make sure that we don't give in to these things that we stay watchful. This is a thing that you have to do every single day. And I wonder how often is it that we stay watchful? How often is it that we can do these kind of things? Be watchful. So he goes on here to say, now be watchful, be praying. I want you to make supplication for me. This is something specific I want to ask for. He's not asking for finances for the ministry. He's not asking for um, uh, safe passage or anything of those those personal items. But he says, pray for me that utterance may be given to me. Now that word there, utterance, I'm not sure if I left that in your in your outline there or not. But the 
if you look at some of the word studies that are on this for utterance, it talks about freedom or opportunity. Freedom or opportunity. So he's saying, pray for me that utterance or this freedom or opportunity might be given to me. Now, this is something we know is scriptural. The disciples prayed for boldness. They pray, we, we have that prayer right there in the book of Acts. They prayed that we would become more bold. That was after they got uh, threatened. Don't preach in this name. They said, we're going to do it anyway. You, you would think there's a certain amount of boldness there, but they, they prayed for even more boldness. So we know that is a scriptural thing, but how often, how many times do we get asked for prayer from other people, a request, and it's not scriptural? We know it's not scriptural. We know it's not going to be successful. Uh, what do we do about it? Do we, do we just go ahead and do it? Do we just, well, I just, you know, I'll appease them here. Brother Hagen was telling us a story, one of the things I was listening to this week. And this particular one was for uh, another minister who had related the story. And he had, uh, he said he was asked to go and to pray for this particular brother for a thing they, uh, he didn't even think they were saved. And so he said, <clears throat> he said, well, I guess, well, I can go ahead and do that. And so he went over to the house and he's not expecting a whole lot. He didn't ex- even expect the man to be very conscious or very able to hear. He's just kind of figured, well, I'll go in there. He's going to be under medication. He's going to be sedated or some kind of way. I won't be able to do a whole lot with him to, to help him. But maybe I can just go in there, you know, make a short prayer. And uh, maybe he'll be um, conscious enough. I can talk to him about getting born again. He's, he's going through all these things in his head. He gets up there to the house. And the guy is not very uh, coherent. But he prays for him anyway. And he just, uh, he prays without any expectation. <clears throat> he fully expected nothing to happen. He just prayed over him. And a couple of days later... He thought, well, by now he's probably able to talk a little bit more, so I'll go on by. So I think it was like two or three days later, he had gone on by the house, and he related in the story. He said, I saw his wife out in the yard raking leaves. And so I asked her, he said, is, uh, is your husband at home? I wanted to uh, talk with him and pray with him again. wanted to see how he's doing. And so, oh, he's at work. He's at work. And I, I think in the particular thing, he had, he had damaged his arm. He had hurt his arm. And uh, that was the condition, if, if I remember that correctly. How's he at work already? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's at work. He's, uh, and I guess he knew where the location was. So he actually drove over to the location where he was at, parked outside and watched him. And saw this guy. He was, the roof, he was helping out with the roofer, this one. He came down off the ladder, picked up a set of shingles put him on his shoulder on the side that was hurt, walked up the ladder and started, he could just watch them. He was over there work, uh, working. And he had a conversation with God on this. He said, God, he said, I know that wasn't my faith because I had absolutely no faith. I went in there and prayed and I didn't think anything was going to happen at all. And I know it wasn't his faith because I'm not even sure he's born again. And so he had a conversation with God uh, about it. And um, long story short, just get to the, the end of it here. He um, he was uh, seeing this thing. A miracle had happened. And this man was not even expected to be back functioning. And now here he is over there at work. 
Sometimes we're asked to pray and inside of ourselves we're thinking this won't work. This person is not in the right place. This person is not uh, believing the right things. But we just go through the motions of praying. Now that one actually worked for them and they, uh, they saw an answer on it. But how many times do we just go along with the motions? We don't expect anything to happen. If I don't expect anything to happen, something's stirring up in my spirit, I need to deal with it. I need to talk to him about it. Well, you may may say, well, what are you believing for? If it's a, if it's a Christian, what are you believing for? And what verse do you have to support that? If they haven't gone and done any homework, got any verses on it, uh, Brother Hagen used to tell us, he says, uh, well, people will come up to him and pray, uh, have him pray for a certain thing. And he would say, what verses are you standing there? Well, none in particular. He said, well, that's what you'll get. Nothing in particular. You've got to have something to, ha- to base your faith on. It needs to be based in the Word of God. So, don't be, don't be bothered that it doesn't seem very Christian-like to question somebody who's asking for prayer. If you are going to step in and be in faith with that person, then you need to know what's going on so that you can have faith for that particular thing along with them. Or bring them to a place where they are sometimes those things that are stirring in our spirit is God saying deal with this speak to these people help them out on this so if you're going to make prayers and supplications for the the saints if you're going to be watchful there may be something that you see that's out of line and you being watchful can help deal with it so make sure that you you step on out there and you do it because they may ask you to do some unscriptural things so we have to we have to ask how scriptural are these requests? How scriptural are they? I need to make sure myself that I know. Because if I don't know that they're scripturally based, then I can't necessarily be the one to step in and pray. It may be something that's scripturally based, I just may not know it. And if I don't know it, I'm not the one to stand in the, in the place for that. And sometimes you may need to tell people this. If they come to you and they say, will you pray for me on this? And... You may ask them, well, what verse are you standing on for that? Well, I don't really have any particular verse. Or they may give you a verse and say, this is the verse that I'm standing on. Well, I don't, I don't have the revelation that that verse means that. So either it doesn't mean that, or I haven't quite caught up to where you are. So you'll need to find somebody who, who believes along the line that you do on that particular verse. And then send them on another way. Or hopefully get them lined up with what Scripture is saying. So make sure that when you get a request for prayer, when people come up and they say, will you pray for me on this? Don't just say, well, yeah, okay. And just jump on in there and just, uh, well, God, take care of this, help this. Don't just do that. Do some, do some homework with them. Talk with them about it. What are we, what are we praying for? So Paul here is saying exactly what he wants you to pray. I want you to pray that utterance would be given for me. I want you to pray that I would be, have more opportunity and I would have more freedom to be able to uh, speak the gospel, to share with people, to take the gospel message into these places. Oh, I guess I missed out one of your blanks there, but what do you do with a request for prayer when the request is unscriptural? If you don't see the scriptural, you need to highlight it that it's not or that you're not in line with what it is that they're believing. And don't just put them down and say, well, I don't think that's so. And so I don't believe, since I don't believe it's so, it's not so. Don't be haughty. Sometimes we just need to say, 
I, I don't have the revelation that that's what that verse means. So, if that verse means that, you need to find somebody else out there who has that revelation, who has that understanding. And people that are sincere, they'll appreciate you being thorough with that and not just jumping on in. So, stay with it. Make sure that you find these things that are scriptural. But let's take a look at his, his request here again. For me, pray for me that utterance may be given to me. Again, freedom and opportunity that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That I may open my mouth boldly. Now, I don't know how much more bold that you can get than Paul has demonstrated in the book of Acts. But he has demonstrated a lot of boldness and despite riots, despite stonings, despite beatings, he still goes right out there and he preaches the gospel. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So of all the things that he can pray for, this is what he's, he's saying I need to pray for most. Now we're not in Paul's shoes, but I have to assume that if Paul is making this type of a, of a prayer request, that he's feeling either there are opportunities that I'm missing because the freedom is not given. There's opportunities that I'm missing because I don't quite have the utterance. I don't quite have the words to say. I'm saying words. They're not quite getting through to the people. I felt like I didn't make a connection on this. Or he might even be feeling that, oh, I could have stepped out with more boldness there and I didn't. So he may be feeling these things. He may be seeing that this is what's going on in the actual ministry. And so he's relating this to them. This is what he is seeing. This is what he's asking for prayer for. But he asked for utterance and freedom. I'm sorry, utterance as in freedom or opportunity. Now take a look at some of the things here with Paul. In Acts 28, that's where Paul was arriving in Rome for trial. This is around the year 60 A.D. And Paul is in prison for about two years. He's under house arrest in a rented home. From this rented home, he writes the books of Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Ephesians is likely toward the end of 61 or the beginning of 62. Somewhere in that, that neck of the woods. It's somewhere towards the end is where they're uh, believing this to be. So this book that we're reading right here, he's imprisoned. This is not the imprisonment that he would uh, not, uh, not come out from. He does get released from this, this imprisonment. But right now he's not. Now he has, as we know from the book of Acts, he's under house arrest. He has some ability to leave the, the house or to have meeting somewhere. Either everybody came to him or he had some ability to leave. How they did that, I don't know because they didn't have the ankle uh, bracelets that they have for prisoners now. I don't know. They just said, well, Paul, Paul's an honest guy. He says he'll be back. He'll be back. I don't know what they would do in this, but somehow they had a way to set this up for him to be under house arrest and for him to be trusted with this and have a home that he paid rent for. He wasn't just in a prison somewhere. He had a home that he paid rent for. And some people probably would come over to the home, but he seemingly went out to other places, but he's asking for more opportunities. So it might just be that here he has many opportunities, but he sees that he could have more. And so he's asking for people to pray for that, that we would have more opportunity. Now, Paul says that he can pray for this. This is something that we can pray for for ourselves. 
pray for opportunity. Pray for opportunity to share the gospel. Pray for opportunity for, for utterance, for the of freedom that is there. Pray for the words that the people can hear. Father, I just pray that you give me words to speak, not just words that I understand, but words that if I speak them, they will understand what your, your uh, word is telling them, what God is telling them to do or calling them to do. This is something that we, we want. The more attentive I am to pray for utterance, the more attentive I am to pray for freedom, even just for myself, then the more I am probably going to be looking for it. It would seem that a lot of Christians would say, I don't really have a whole lot of opportunities to share the gospel. But if we did an honest poll out of most of those people, they would say, well, I haven't really prayed for that either. We can look at our own lives. How many times a week, how many times a month, how many times a day do we pray for opportunity? Do we ask God, God, I, need, I want an opportunity. I want an opportunity to share the gospel. I want an opportunity to... to um, to, to speak these things, to share these things. There's opportunities all around. And sometimes it's just, a, uh, you just hear something that somebody says and you can catch hold of that. And you can, you can go off on that. We were, we were taking the kids, we had a, a fiasco of a time last night trying to get them to a Wendy's that had chicken nuggets because uh, the two littlest ones, that's what they wanted to eat. So we were trying to, we had them out for a little while taking a look at some some Christmas lights and things. And so we went to the to the one that was close by where we're going. And for some reason, they closed an hour early and uh, didn't put a sign up. And there was actually a line of people in the drive-thru and we were kind of stuck in the middle. And I was trying to do it through the app. I was trying to do it through the drive-thru. And I think we must have lost about 20 minutes, 30 minutes just trying to get this thing done. And so, but they, you know, they really want these things. So we made the drive from Doylestown all the way on down over here to Warrington to get it taken care of again. And so I thought, just thought, well, I just, my app still wasn't working. So I said, look, I'm just going to go inside. We'll get it. We'll take it on home and we'll do that. And so in doing so, well, then um, one of the kids wants to come on out with me. Well, okay, come on, let's go. And then the second one, they want to come. And then, but now the third one, I'm not staying here. <laughs> so now we're all going into the restaurant to do this. And so I just said on the way in, I says, well, since we're all going in anyway, why don't we just eat inside? <laughs> so we're going to just eat inside. And so we're standing up there in the front. We're waiting for all this stuff to go on. And um, I told the guy the problem I was having with the app. And so he's sitting there on the, on the, he said, can I use your phone? So he's using my phone. He's, he's playing with it for a good five minutes until he finally got it to work. And um, show me that there's a change they made. You got to do this now instead of the way you were doing it before. Oh, okay, well, now we understand that. And so there was a, a gentleman who was uh, standing behind him and watching all the things that were going on, and he just made a comment. He said, you know, pretty soon they're going to just put a chip in everybody's hands, and uh, that's all you got to do. <laughs> so so we had uh, we used that as a launching pad yeah, as an opportunity. And I said, um, I said something to, the, to him. He said, well, you know, it's not the chip that's the problem. It's the worship. And his response was, that's exactly right. Well, that wasn't the response I was expecting. <laughs> so, but we got into a nice conversation about all that. And we had a, we had a fun, 
fun time with it. Turned out he was just there servicing the restaurant for some technical issues they were have. He lives down in Philly. So I told him, I said, uh, well, come on out to church sometime. And so he said, you know what? If I'm back up in this area working on the, the store, I may just stop on over. So maybe we'll see him come on over. But we were we got into a conversation. Now, he didn't need it to get saved, but there was a lot of other people around there, and they were listening too. And so you look for opportunities like that. And don't be afraid that they're going to ask you something that you don't know what to say. Paul is saying here, I'm not afraid of that. Pray that I have utterance. Pray that when they ask me things, that I've got answers, not just answers to it, but answers that I can convey to them that they would understand. So have the confidence that this will happen, but pray for it. Ask for it. Just like Paul was saying, pray that utterance would be given. You need to pray for utterance to be given. It ought to be something that we just wake up in the morning. Father, I'm looking for opportunities here to share the gospel. I'm looking for opportunities to uh, to spread your light. And, uh, you know, you listen to the stories of Jesse. I don't think Jesse had any on this particular one that we put up on Monday. But some of the ones that you've listened to, and he just takes opportunity. He goes into a restaurant. I heard him talk about it one time. He has a budget in a year of how much he tips people. It's high. It's, it's way more than I spend on going out to eat all year long. That he just has a budget to, uh, to tip people. And so he'll go into some places. That'll get some attention. You know, you drop a $100 uh, tip down on something, that gets people's attention. And a lot of times it gives them opportunity to, to share the gospel. And uh, he'll, if you've listened to a number of his messages, you'll hear the uh, opportunities that he has taken on that, as well as other ministers as well. They share this, much of the same thing. But be praying for opportunity. Do the things you need to do to get those opportunities. And when they're there, be bold. Don't sit back on it. Don't say, well, I'm going to think about this for a little while. No, the opportunity's gone. That opportunity comes up. Here it is. You've got to go after it. <laughs> this is what Paul would do. We saw Paul went into Athens. He looked around for something. He saw the, the statue to the unknown God. And he took that as an opportunity. He didn't just stand up on a soapbox and say that. They were asking him some things. And in the course of the conversation, he said, look, you have this statue. I'm here to tell you about that God. And that was a lead-in for them. That was something that they already had in their society. He was able to do this. There's people out there, they've already got something in their life, already got something going on that God is looking to, uh, to send workers into and to minister to. Be praying for other people as well, but even be praying for yourself. God, I want opportunities today. I want an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. I want the opportunity to speak to them about the things that are going on. Because we are in a world, there's a lot of uncertainty going on whenever there's wars happening. And of course, people are talking about world wars and uh, things of this nature. It gets unsaved people very nervous because they don't know the things of the book of Revelation that we all know. And so they're a little uncertain about what's, what's going on and what's happening. But you're not. You know these things and they bring comfort. So be ready for them. Look for opportunities. Pray for opportunities and then take them. When they come, don't sit there and say, well, I don't know if I should take it now. <laughs> no, the opportunity is here. If it's a work situation, I don't want to get paid to be spared in the gospel. That's not what they hired me to do. Well, then just give them something that God tells you that will quicken their interest and say, I'd love to talk to you some more about this and I have more things to share with you. 
What are you doing for lunch today? What are you doing after work? What are you doing before work tomorrow? And find a time that you can you can follow up with them. There's there's ways to to get this done. But this is what Paul is praying for. He's writing this when he is in uh, in Rome. He is under house arrest. He has some freedom to go about, but he's saying, I want more opportunity. I want more freedom. I want more ways that I can share the gospel here in this place. I'm here. God told me to come here. Help me out with that. So he's a prisoner there for two years. As we said, he wrote Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians from this place. Around the middle to the end of 62, this is when Paul was released. He'll write First Timothy and Titus after that. There was a great fire, I'm sure many of you know, of at Rome. And that was in the year 64. This, of course, was under Nero. And there is great speculation and seeming, seeming evidence that Nero set the fire. That he caused the thing to go. I've heard two different versions of this. One was that he didn't like... He wanted to put his name in all the buildings. And the other one was that he uh, wanted to build a house. He didn't want to just build a, a, a small house. He wanted to build a big house. In the area where he wanted to build it, there was a lot of buildings. Uh, there seems to be a good bit of evidence for that because after the fire is done, the areas where the fire was, he built his, he started to build his house there. So there's a great fire in Rome. That's in the year 64 and it's under Nero. And the great persecution of the Christians began because uh, they were they were ready to remove Nero from his reign, from his position, because they suspected that Nero was behind the fire. And so basically on the way to the court hearing or somewhere the days before, he came up with the idea. I'm sure he didn't come up with it on his own. Satanically inspired idea because he was certainly a satanic type of a leader. He came up with the idea that the Christians have been talking about a judgment of fire. And they probably did this themselves. And they had a lot of other things that they accused them of. But since they were already talking about a coming judgment of fire, which we have uh, had, had certainly seen in some of the writings that the, the fire judgment would come. Well, this uh, seemed to be a, a good way to get the blame off of him. And so he put the blame on them. And so the persecution for the Christians really stepped up. This Under this persecution is when Paul would be killed. He would be martyred for this. But this was around 64. He uh, got out of prison around 62. He was released. So he has some years of freedom in which he goes around and he, he does some more things. But in 64, that's when the, the great fire was. Josephus also, uh, he he was um, uh, in, involved in the battle to preserve or to, to win Israel back. And he was making some pleads in the interest of the Jews before Rome. And that was around 64. I'm not sure if that was about because of the accusations that had been made uh, by Nero about the Christians. But Josephus was uh, one of the ones who would do that. Now, there was a home, if you ever want to do some looking up on this, there was a uh, structure that was built, the Domus 
urea. And that is actually Latin for golden house. And this was the uh, home that Nero wanted to build. Now, I looked up some things on this. Uh, if you've heard Rick Renner on this, Rick, I believe he says that the area of acreage was about two, I forget if he said 200 acres or 300 acres. I did some looking up and the only documentation I could find has that at about 125 acres. So it's, it's a large area. This was the area for his home. So this, uh, this domus here, it occupied the 125 acres. That was a total area of 25 times what the Colosseum was. Can you imagine having a home that was 25 times the size of the Colosseum? They have done some excavating and not the whole, the whole thing is not available. Nero didn't finish it. His, the emperor after him had to finish it because he died in 68, I believe it was, that he died, that he died. And, um, uh, so we never got to see it finished. But as they are building it and as they've excavated, excavated, they had about 300 rooms in the place. But they found no evidence for a bathroom or a kitchen. And that they don't have a, I haven't heard an explanation for that. There just was not that found. I cannot imagine that you would have a house of that size and not have those particular things there. Some of the original construction was torn down because Nero was not a popular Caesar. And so some of the other ones that came up tore it down. They built some other things. But if you do a, a lookup of this, it's spelled D-O-M-U-S, Domus, and then A-U-R-E-A. If you just do a, a search for that, <clears throat> there's some real interesting uh, pictures that you'll see. And I have seen that there were some uh, references to a video tour that you can do with the place. If you ever want to go out there and take a look at that. But this place, it had vineyards, it had cornfields, it had forest. It was seemed to have been used a lot for parties. None of the 300 rooms that were there are said to have been bedrooms. Now again, Paul was imprisoned in 66 A.D. and was martyred in, I'm sorry, 67 A.D. is when he was martyred. But Paul was imprisoned in 66 A.D. So that one didn't last very long. And this is under Nero is when he is, he is done here. But he will, he will die at the end of this. And Second uh, Timothy was the last letter that he wrote. And in Second Timothy, he is telling people, I'm coming to the end. I've run my race. I've uh, finished the course of what I was supposed to do. But he could see that it was coming to the end. Nero was looking to kill Christians and to have that persecution go. Under Nero, not only was the Colosseum used to butcher the Christians, you know, with the lions and the gladiators and all the things that go on there, but they actually started a thing where they had uh, street lights. And the street lights were Christians tied to poles set on fire. And that's uh, something that would go on down on the streets there. That was a lot of Christians that, that died on those particular ways. It was a very horrible time to, to live. Nero was not somebody that God would have wanted in power, but he got in power and he did some very horrendous things while he was there. Now the Jewish people got tired of all this stuff that was going on under Nero and in 66 they started a revolt against Rome. 
Josephus surrendered to the Romans around 67. And that's uh, somewhere around the time that Paul was also uh, killed. I don't know which happened first. I didn't actually find that or look for it. I'm not sure which. But again, Paul is praying for an opportunity to either be free or completely, uh, to be free completely out of prison or to be having more opportunity to preach. So we uh, ought to look for opportunities. Are we compelled as much as Paul was in the light of all this stuff he's asking for opportunity to preach? Verse 20. He says, For which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So despite all the hindrances, Paul takes advantage of every opportunity to preach the gospel and to strengthen the brethren. This is what he wants to do, no matter what's coming against him. He's not going to look at this and say, Well, look, I'm in prison. How much can I do in here? No, he's always looking for opportunity. He's, he's asking for things. He doesn't just sit back. Hey, I know under house arrest, can I go out here and preach a meeting? Can I go over here and um, pray for the sick? And they apparently would let him. But if he didn't ask, if he didn't pursue it, they probably wouldn't have done it. But he gets out there and he does so. We've got to look for the opportunities. They're not just going to come falling down in our lap. We're going to have to pursue them. Sometimes it's just something that somebody would say. They just make a little statement and you can jump on that statement. And you can make that, that thing to say, Hey, I heard you asking about this. Would you like to know something? Or just say what's in your spirit. In your spirit, something is going to come up. And you can have that conversation with the people that are there. For which I am an ambassador and chains that in it, in the gospel, I may speak, I'm sorry, in the chains, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He wants to speak boldly. He wants to get more bold. Think of yourself. How bold have you been compared to Paul? If he's praying for more boldness, we ought to be praying for more boldness as well. So he's in prison for the gospel and still he has to declare it boldly and courageously. Verse 21, But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Now this guy, Tychicus, we don't know a whole lot about him. It seems that he is primarily a messenger. He's used often to carry messages. Now on that day, if you were going to travel, you didn't get into a car, you didn't get into a train, you didn't get into a plane. You either walked or you had a horse or... Some kind of a vehicle like that. But since he's going all over the place, we never hear of a horse being mentioned. I have, when we get to heaven, I'm probably going to have to meet up with him and find out if he was a runner. Because if, if it's your main job is to take messages from one city to another, why in the world are you going to sit there and walk when you could, why would you find somebody who's just a walker? Find out somebody who's a runner, they're going to cut down on the days there. So I'll bet you he probably was. Don't know about that for sure. But he would take these messages. Paul would say, yeah, take this message over here. And so he says, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Now you might, might think about this. <clears throat> People have, know that you were involved in a trip. People know that you were involved in a meeting. People knew that you were involved in maybe a, a medical procedure. And so they will ask you things, they'll text you things, and they'll say, hey, how did this go? And then you write back to them. Now you can think about how many details you leave out because you're typing it back to them and it's a message. 
And we don't give them all the details. You may sometimes just say, hey, it went real great. When I see you next, I'll tell you all about it. Or you may just give a few details. I'll fill you in the rest later on. We oftentimes will refer that there's more than what we put in writing, but we'll, we'll tell them about it later on. Can you imagine if the only way that you could write out something was to grab a parchment, was to grab a scroll, was to grab some kind of a paper and write it with a feather and an ink and an ink stamp. And you got to keep dipping the feather into the ink and no ballpoint pens, no pencils. You got to keep dipping it in there and then writing until it runs out and then dipping some more and writing. And how, how short would your text messages be then? They wouldn't last very long. We'd be done real, real quick. So Paul is saying, basically, look, I'm sending, sending Tychicus <clears throat> to you. He's going to fill you in all the personal details. This is the stuff I wanted to write down. And so when he gets there, he will tell them, hey, this is what we've been doing. These are the kind of things that have been happening. Paul, yes, he's in prison, but uh, they're letting him get out. We had a meeting just yesterday. We had a meeting last month. This, this and this went on. And so he's going to give them all the details on this, but he's going to get it firsthand. And of course, it'll be a lot more uh, wordy and in-depth than it would be if Paul was writing these things out. So he says in verse 22, Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So that's why I'm sending him. I want him to be able to tell you everything that's going on. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father. Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with you all. Those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, amen. Now, after all, we have been given to live this life as Paul has taught us here in Ephesians. And I'll just give you a summary here for this. In chapter 1, 15 through 23, we had prayer for faith, love, and hope of those whom God has made part of the body of the heavenly Christ. Wording that he had. In chapter 2, through chapter 3 and verse 21, through the apostles, God has made the Gentiles alive in Christ. In chapter, I think I miswrote that one. Nope, okay, we're just breaking it down a little bit more. So in uh, chapters 2, 1 through 10, there's a contrast between their old death in sin and life in Christ. Going on through verse 22, reconciliation of the Gentiles to God in the one body of Christ. Going from chapter 3 up to verse 13, Paul's suffering and ministry to bring the Gentiles into the body of Christ. And these, these three things are breaking down how God has made the Gentiles alive in Christ. In chapter 3, 14 through 21, Paul, for a prayer for faith and love among Paul's converts. In chapter 4, 1 through 620, this is basically the second half here. We're going to see how to live our Christian life in the world. Breaking that down. Chapter 4, 1 through 16, there is unity of the body of Christ, which is built up by different ministries. That's in the first 16 verses of chapter 4. From there, we pick up a verse 17, going on through 521, the old life in darkness, contrast with the new life as children of light. Verse 22 through 6-9, household, we had the household issues, marriage in Christ, he dealt with that. He dealt with children, he dealt with parents, he dealt with slaves, and he dealt with masters. He dealt with all those things, all those types of relationships that would go on. In chapter 6, 10 through 20, 
We had all the things going on with the spiritual armor, spiritual warfare, take up the whole armor of God, gird yourself, all those things. And so we spent a good bit of time with all the, uh, describing the pieces. We went into a lot more detail with each one looking at them in Scripture. Now, just looking at this, after all that has been given to live this life, that Paul has taught us here in Ephesians, how much should we be putting these things to work to be bold and courageous with the gospel? We've been given an awful lot. Ephesians gives all the things that are in our heavenly account. And these are things that we are supposed to utilize, that we are supposed to use. These are not things that God can use. These are things that God has given us to use. So we need to keep going over them. We need to keep being reminded of them and to keep putting it to work. All the things that we're taught, we, we spend a lot of time on the spiritual armor. I hope you're a lot more conscious of the fact that spiritual armor is in play. But all the rest of those things that we'd spent, I guess we've been on this for about a year. Been looking over the things that are going on here. Don't, don't let any of them get out of your head. Keep reminding them. Because we are called here, we are put here to further the kingdom of God. We've got that helmet of salvation on. We are part of His team. We are here to minister and to be mindful of that. Paul wanted to just be mindful of the things of God. He wanted to be a good soldier. I'm not going to be mindful of the things of this world. Be mindful of the things of the kingdom of God because that's what I'm down here to do. Well, Father, I thank you for the way that you have equipped us, that you have made us ready. You have put so much into our account and so much you have made available for us. So often we can be found sitting back and saying, I just don't have any opportunity. I just don't know enough. But in just this one book that Paul writes, boy, all the things that we have, the prayers to get us equipped, the way that we are protected with spiritual armor, the way we are told about the contrast of light and darkness, all these things that come to help us. I thank you that we are empowered by the grace of God to do even more in this day. We thank you for the opportunities that we have. And we pray that we would have more opportunity, that we would have more boldness, and that we would continue to grow in it just like the disciples did, just like Paul did. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.